welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Have you with us and those at home joining us for worship? We're beginning a new series in the book of Jonah. Um, and I'm, I'm learning right along with you. I had to look over my last 27 years of pastoring and see how many times I've preached through Jonah. I think it's only been once. So that means I took that one sermon. I'm trying to stretch it for nine weeks, okay? So that's the goal. But we're actually going to use Pastor Tim Keller's, uh, the same author that the book that we're gifting to our scholarship recipients, uh, his book called Rediscovering Jonah. It'll be a guide uh, for us as uh, we look into Jonah the next several weeks. And we're going to get a deeper glimpse of God's holiness, his goodness, his grace, not only towards these Ninevites, but towards Jonah himself. And perhaps you've experienced God's grace for yourself in addition. We're going to see Jonah as the most unlikely of evangelists. And as I've studied Jonah, uh, especially this past week, we'll see that far from this short book being a story primarily about a man being swallowed by a great fish, what we're going to see is this book is actually a masterfully crafted piece of biblical literature. It has two distinct stories. I want to highlight that in a little bit. The first uh, stories are in chapters one and two, and then chapters three and four. Chapters one and two tells about how Jonah, is, he's given a command, and he fails to obey it. And it's about a prophet, it's about the pagans, and it's about the sea. And then you have a second story that parallels that first one in chapters three to four. It talks about how Jonah is given a command and once again fails to obey it. It's about a prophet, the pagans, and a city. And what Pastor Keller does, he outlines how Jonah is being confronted in three ways. It's God's word, God's world, and God's grace. And that those three themes are in parallel in the book of Jonah. If you have a Bible, why don't you go and grab it, open to chapter 1. We'll be in there primarily, but I want you to notice in chapter 1, it parallels chapter 3. In verse uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, God's word comes to Jonah. And then in chapter 3, 1, God's word comes to Jonah. And 1, 2, the message to be conveyed. 3, 2, the message to be conveyed. In 1, 3, the response of Jonah. In 3, 3, the response of Jonah. And then you get to Jonah and God's world. In chapter 1, verse 4, we see the word of warning. In chapter 3, a word of warning. In chapter 1, the response of the pagans. In chapter 3, the response of the pagans. In chapter 1, the response of the pagan leader. In chapter 3, the response of a different pagan leader. And then in chapter 1, the pagan's faithful response. In chapter 3, once again, the pagan's faithful response. And then lastly, Jonah and God's grace is the last theme. In chapter 2, you'll see how God teaches grace to Jonah through the fish. That's a story we all know, right? But in chapter 4, God teaches grace to Jonah through the plant. Now, today we're going to look at just chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, but I hope you'll join me in praying this. The goal today isn't to get you more information. The goal is for you to be transformed by the Spirit of God. And so would you join me in prayer as we offer that up as our prayer? Lord Jesus, we recognize your presence. We know that we can't change ourselves for the good without aligning and submitting ourselves to your holy word and to your very presence. You are the word of God. You are the logos. We ask that you would change us, transform us, not just our minds, our hearts, our wills, our very being. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
I'm going to give you some background as we dig into the text. By the way, if any of you want the notes, I can send them to you if you really want them. But let me go quickly. In John 1, sorry, Jonah 1.1, 1, 1, you're going to see it says this. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, outside the book that bears his name, Jonah is mentioned just once in the Old Testament. It's in 2 Kings 14.25. It's where Jonah prophecies that the expansion of Israel under King Jeroboam II, that these will be successful conquests as they expand their borders. It'll bring blessing to Israel, which it did. But also that blessing brought judgment because Israel, God's people, got prideful. Look how strong we are. We won. And so God judges them by sending the Assyrians. And guess where the Assyrians' capital is in? A place called Nineveh. So it's all connected. Now, Jonah himself is identified as a citizen of Gath-Hefer. It's a city of moderate size, about three miles northeast of Nazareth. It's a real place. Jonah's name means dove or pigeon in Hebrew. Uh, But from these first verses of Jonah, what we can tell is that Jonah is a prophet whom God asked to go and to preach to the Ninevites. Now, Jonah has some contemporaries, most likely. If you looked in the book of Amos or Hosea, we believe those were some of his contemporaries, the same time period that they were serving the Lord and the nation of Israel. Now, Israel at the time of Jonah's encounter was quite possibly very politically secure and yet very spiritually smug. Very dangerous combination, right? In fact, I called my friend, his name is Ayman Ibrahim. He's an Egyptian Christian. He's a Christian scholar in Islam. And we talked last week because as I was studying this, I realized for the first time in 20 years, 27 years of passion, I'm almost embarrassed to say, I did not know that Jonah was a revered prophet in the Quran, that our Muslim friends respect Jonah. And then my friend Ayman's like, oh, of course, Pastor Tim. Uh, Think of Enoch, Noah, David, Abraham, Elijah, John the Baptist, Jesus himself. They're all in the Quran. They're all revered men of God by our Muslim friends. And I'd know this as well, that there's in fact a tomb of Jonah in Mosul, Iraq, that the Muslims have uh, cared for for many years. And listen to this, it's located in nowhere else but ancient Nineveh. And Muslims believe this tomb holds the bones of the prophet uh, prophet Jonah. And so it's deeply revered. And don't don't give it away, but you'll never guess, because some people already heard it. You'll never guess who is the one responsible for restoring the tomb of Jonah for the Muslim people. Saddam Hussein in the 90s restored that temple. And then in 2014, ISIS terrorists destroy it because they didn't think their Muslim brothers and sisters were worshiping properly, so they destroyed the tomb. Now, here's the thing to keep in mind. Jonah the prophet is someone honored and revered by Jews, Muslims, and Christians. And so it'll do us well, CPC family, to spend just several weeks learning about this prophet and what God might have to say to us through his experiences, his choices, and the way that God encountered him. And so we are asking God to show us by his spirit to transform us into the likeness of Christ as we study the book of Jonah. And you're going to find that Jonah is very relatable to us. I'm going to have three main points. We're going to find that Jonah is afraid, Jonah runs away, and Jonah disobeys. Anyone sound like that here, right? That's me. 
That's you. There's a lot for us to relate to in Jonah. Take a look at verse 1. First of all, Jonah is afraid for his life. It says in Jonah 1.1, God says, go to Nineveh. Now, Jonah did not like this assignment. We shouldn't be surprised because we see that Jonah actually served God faithfully. That's what we know from the Hebrew scriptures. But he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Now, before you judge Jonah for not being willing to go, we should understand that Nineveh was a scary place. God himself says in verse 2 about, about Nineveh, God says, their evil has come up before me. Out of all the nations in the world, God says, I have my eyes on evil Nineveh. That's not a place you're going to want to go vacation in, right? Now, think of this as well. The Ninevites and the Assyrians, the people they're a part of, they conquered enemies. What did they do? They tortured them. They enslaved them. They destroyed nations. They tore, captured people limb by limb. I mean, these were bad people. Imagine you're at, uh, during World War II, God tells you to go leave and go to Nazi Germany and preach the gospel. How would you feel about that? So Jonah is saying, I don't want to go. <laughs> and we don't blame him. Jonah is afraid, and he had good reasons to be afraid. Jonah has a reason to be fearful. I want to give you a modern-day example. A man named Daryl Davis is a man of faith who experienced racism as a black man growing up in America. But he believes he has succeeded in persuading more than 200 KKK members to disavow their allegiances. How does he do it? How does a black man do that? Well, he shows up to cross burnings and to KKK rallies, and he befriends the people there. And over the course of the years, Davis even won over a man named Scott Shepard, who is now a former Grand Dragon of the KKK in Tennessee. And the two regularly travel together now, talking about racism, talking about how to tackle prejudices, how to do that head on. And it comes out of his own obedience to Jesus Christ. You want to talk about a scary call? Modern-day example of someone who is faithful to respond to a radical call. Now, sometimes God is going to give you an impossible task. And I think partly it's because then you'll know when it goes well, when the blessing comes through, when you see God make a breakthrough, it had to be God. It couldn't have been you. There was no chance for you in your humanity to do this without the power of God. God's going to give you something in your time of walking with Jesus on this earth where eventually you're going to say to God, I've read your word, I've heard what you're saying to do, and you're going to say, God, I just can't do that. I'm sorry, I'm out. There's going to be something in your walk with Christ that's going to be hard for you to say yes to. When God asks you to forgive your ex, or God maybe nudges you to tithe beyond what you think is, is even possible. Maybe God prompts you to pray for a step of radical obedience. It's scary. And the reality is this, a God-sized call can reveal your fear, but a God-sized call can also reveal God's faithfulness. What will you do with that scary thing that you think God might be prompting you to take a step of faith towards? 
could be an important life transition. It could be your finances. It could be a major medical decision. Fear is natural. As you bring it to God, though, you bring your fear. You ask him, Lord, reveal your presence in the midst of my fear. Help me to have more faith. Lord, show your faithfulness. Some of you are going off to college, right? What you need to do is say, God, I want you to give me your vision. Your vision, not my vision. I'm not trying to have my vision, have you fit into my vision. I want you to give me your vision that I might align myself with you. Ask God to give you his vision because a God-sized vision requires a God-sized provision. It has to be God if you have God's vision. That's one lesson from Jonah we learn from his fear. Secondly, we see not only does Jonah have fear, but Jonah runs away, runs away from God. In fact, Jonah 1, verses 2, 3, see, God says, arise, go to Nineveh. But then it says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. It's actually a really funny thing when you, when you read this in the original language. It's real clear, the two juxtapositions of the language. God says, rise up. But Jonah rises up and goes the other way. It's kind of like a comedic relief, I think. Jonah runs away. And instead of going 500 miles over land to Nineveh, he goes 2,500 miles over sea to Tarshish. Now, would you yourself, right? Would you want to go to Iraq? I don't want to go to Iraq. Back then, he didn't want to go there either. Tarshish was likely part of modern-day Spain. And so I think that Jonah didn't want to go to Iraq. He wanted to go to the beach and eat tapas, you know, lay on the beach. I don't know, whatever it'd be. But he's like, Spain is sounding way better than Iraq right now. So he headed off to Spain, to Tarshish. Now, Pastor Tony Evans says this. He says that Jonah would rather be 2,500 miles outside of God's will than 500 miles inside of it. May we be people who would make a different decision. But don't you sense yourself? Jonah runs away. I would run away too. I'm no better than him. Jonah not only had a problem with the job God gave him, Jonah had a problem with God himself. He had a bigger problem with the one who gave him the task. See, because Jonah couldn't see any good reasons. Why would God want to send me to those people that he couldn't understand? doesn't make sense, God. I'm doing fine right here in Jerusalem with my own people. He couldn't understand God's reasoning. A personal story, I remember being devastated. I was age 26 in LA, single. Uh, uh, and then I had a longtime girlfriend, and I was excited about that. I thought she was the one, and then she broke up with me. I was distraught. This had to be the one. And little did I know that God was probably thinking in my distraughtness, Tim, if you could see the future like I do, you wouldn't be complaining. I have someone else for you, but you haven't met her yet. And by the way, you have some maturing to do before you meet this other person. So I'm taking my time to spare her uh, from you, your current self, because I got some work to do on you, right? Why don't you trust me, Tim? If I could have heard God back then in the midst of my distress, I would have maybe heard something like that. Why don't you trust me, Tim? And then a few years later, I met and then married my wife, Katie. But I had no idea while I was going through the distress that God's faithfulness was coming, that I was going to see it. 
So I want you to think of yourself a time in your life when maybe God's ways just didn't make sense. Maybe that's right now. Something, it just doesn't make sense. God, what are you doing? I don't understand you. I don't like how you're acting, God. I don't like the way you're answering my prayers. I didn't ask for that. I asked for this. I don't like it, God. Maybe you're doubting God's reasoning. You haven't, you haven't left God altogether, maybe, but you just, God, I don't, I don't like your reasoning. I don't get what you're doing right now. But here's the thing. If you could see what God sees, you wouldn't doubt. If you could have his eyes, his vision. And instead, if you could see what God sees, you would be worshiping him. And so right now, here's the thing. You can worship God for the future that doesn't make sense right now in the present. You can choose to worship him now for the faithfulness that you know you will see that you can't see right now. But you can worship him now. And there's something that God is pressing into you and you're doubting God's wisdom, and I get it. And it requires you to trust God more than you do right now. It's a cancer diagnosis. It's a job uncertainty. It looks like there isn't a way for God to make something good to come out of this bad situation. God, there's no way I can think in my logical mind how something good is going to come out of this really bad thing. And I'll pause like I always do. I'm not telling you God sent you the bad thing. But he allowed it. But you can, in the present, trust God for the future. You can worship him now in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your fear, in the midst of the uncertainties. You can worship him, even with a little bit of faith. You can worship him. It requires you to trust God more than you do right now. And we're asking you, can you sense his presence? Will you be honest with him? Just like the psalmist, you can be honest. Lord, I just don't trust you right now, God. That's a good prayer. It's a biblical prayer. God, I don't trust you right now. The, the thing we don't want you to do is to stop talking to God. Talk to him. I'm struggling. I don't have much faith. I don't like what you're doing, God. Keep talking with him. He can handle it. He's God. He can handle your doubts. He can handle your frustrations. God promises to take care of you. Will you choose to run to God instead of running away? That's your choice. Run to him with your doubts. Run to him with your struggles. Thirdly, we see Jonah do a third thing. Not only is Jonah afraid, not only does Jonah run away, but also Jonah disobeys. And perhaps here's one thought that perhaps Jonah disobeyed God because he doesn't trust God to be effective in reaching the Ninevites. Last week, I shared a story from my time. I used to be a pastor at Bel Air Presbyterian Church in LA. And I shared this great story, how we started this Bible study on the USC campus fight on Trojans. My wife's a Trojan. I'm a Bruin. Uh, so and we went to start a Bible study there, and we started with three people. And then um, another pastor said, Tim, I want you to take over. And I was thinking, first of all, I'm a Bruin. Don't really want to walk on that other campus. And then secondly, I was kind of like, really? Are you really going to grow anything here? I mean, they are Trojans. I mean, God, really? Are you going to really do anything here? But I took it over, and it grew. God was faithful. It grew. I had this much faith. And to this day, just last night, I was thinking of all the different students that came through that. There's probably seven full-time pastors, probably another seven full-time nonprofit leaders, and dozens of faithful followers of Jesus that came out of that little experiment with the pastor who had a tiny bit of faith and a little bit of faithfulness to obey. You see, God 
will do things that are beyond our imagination. Perhaps Jonah disobeys as he doesn't think that God is really going to work for these people. God can do anything he wants to do. Another story, I remember I was pastoring a church in Newport Beach. This is after my, that LA church. And then an opportunity came to me and to my wife to serve an inner city church in LA. Now, my wife and I were thinking, again, imagine we've been in Newport Beach, this big church, and the mission pastor. And we we're thinking, Lord, here we are suffering for you in Newport Beach. And if you have another call for us, we're sensing it's probably closer to Hawaii than downtown LA next to Skid Row. Like, we're just saying, maybe you heard our prayers wrong, Lord. We said Hawaii, not Skid Row. So the opportunity came. We did a comparison, a little pros, cons list. We said, okay, Newport, here are the pros. It's beautiful. It's comfortable. It's safe. I have a multi-million dollar budget to work with and several staff to work with. And I love my job. Or I go to the complete unknown in downtown LA next to a, into a dying church with very little financial resources with homeless people literally sleeping on the street outside of our church. Hmm, which one? We weighed it, and we said, absolutely not, Lord. No way, we're not going. We told the Lord, not doing it, not going. And then we did something dangerous, probably even crazy. You know what we did? We prayed. We said, okay, Lord, we'll pray about it. No, it's like, uh, no, but we'll, we'll pray about it. And then God did something that changed us. We had a chance meeting, in fact, in LA with Pastor Tim Keller. He flew in from New York, not just to meet us, to meet a bunch of different LA people. And we happened to be there. We got 25 minutes with Pastor Tim Keller this one night. And of course, what does he talk about? He talks about the need for Christians to spend a season pastoring in the city where it's really hard to find pastors. And we walked away saying, God, I can't believe you did that to us. And then we said yes. We spent eight wonderful, incredibly challenging, but beautiful years serving that church in LA next to Skid Row with I had elderly people there, and I had homeless people there, and I had young hipsters there, and God did an amazing work. Not because of my great abilities, but because of his. It's not mine. It belongs to him. God changed our hearts. He took our small faith and he made it bigger. We believed in faith. If God is guiding, then he's providing. He has to. We had no skill set in this. We were as suburban as you can imagine, with zero background. But guess what? We connected with the God of the universe, and he's got a pretty good resume. So when you connect with God... There's a lot of things you can do beyond your own abilities. It was challenging. It was fulfilling. Yeah, it was scary. But we did obey. We went. God is faithful even if we never got to see the fruit of that church. We saw a ton of fruit. But even if you never see the fruit of your choice of faithfulness to obey, God sees it. And one day when you see the Lord face to face in heaven, then you will know how your faithfulness produced fruits that you may never see before we get to heaven. Be faithful in obeying. Our job is to listen and to obey and to step out in faith. But there's a second option. 
What if Jonah disobeys, not because he's worried God won't be effective, but actually because he's worried he will? What do I mean by that? It becomes clear in chapter 4 that Jonah didn't think the Ninevites deserved to be saved. So don't assume Jonah runs away from God because he's afraid the Assyrians won't listen to him. On the contrary, Jonah runs away because he's convinced they will. Jonah, this prophet of God, he wants the Assyrians to get punished. They don't deserve your grace, God. They don't deserve your love like I do. They don't deserve your kindness like me. They don't deserve your mercy like my people. They're the problem, not me. Sound familiar? I wonder if Jonah, the real reason that he ran away was actually because he thought God would bless him. God would touch him. Now, I want you to ask yourself, do you have anyone in your life, if you're honest, that in a way you really don't want them to get saved because then you have to deal with them in heaven for eternity. You ever thought about that? You're like, I don't want to see them. Right? Or even if you don't go that far, that you don't really want to see them saved, you'll kind of say, well, look, you someone else, Lord. And then even if you do hear that someone else helped lead them to the Lord, you're kind of like, yeah, we'll see if it sticks. Is that anyone in your life that's maybe in your heart, even a little bit, See, what happens is this. We withhold God's grace. We are the judge and jury. But guess who's the only judge and jury? It's Jesus. Your job is to be faithful, to be a dispenser of God's grace. Philip Yancey shares a true story of a prostitute who is telling her tragic and sordid story to a social worker. The social worker, seeing her in distress, says, you know, why don't you think about going to church? These are her exact words. A prostitute says this, church? Why would I ever go there? I'm already feeling terrible about myself. They would just make me feel worse. The church is the last place that most of your friends and family think they'll ever find grace. I pray that it may not be so here at CPC. Jonah 1.3 says this, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. See, Jonah thinks he's running away from Nineveh, but he's really running away from God. He's running away from the presence of the Lord, from the center of God's will. And so Jonah says, I know how to run my life better than you, Lord. Instead of going east, I'm going west because I don't like you being so gracious to people who don't deserve it. I know how to run my life better than you. Don't we do that in our own little ways? God, I know who to date. God, I know how to handle my finances better than you. Oh, would you ask for God's vision in your life instead of asking God to maneuver around yours? If you're withholding the greatest news a person could ever have by ignoring them, then you're doing what Jonah is doing. We're running away not just from the people that God is calling us to. We're running away from God himself. Yes, Jonah's afraid. Yes, he runs away and he disobeys. Sounds a lot like me and you, doesn't it? Aren't we grateful for a God of grace? Second chances, third chances, fourth chances, again and again and again. 
As we put our faith in him, God says he'll never let you go. Will you ask him to give you his vision for your little life? That he might use you to be a dispenser of his grace in the world. May we choose to run to him instead of running away. For this world in need that he's placed us in right now, this time, this place, your body, your makeup, your gifts, your resource, he's got something for you he wants you to step into. Let's pray that he'd show it to us. Let's pray together. God, we don't know all the ins and outs of exactly sometimes what we're supposed to do, but we want to follow after you. We want to ask you, Lord, would you give us your vision? Would you show us, Lord, where you're, be attentive to how you're nudging us towards your goodness your kindness, that we might be a dispensers of your goodness and grace to a broken world. Maybe for some of us, it's addressing a great need in the world, like human trafficking, or a great need like access to clean water for developing countries. Or for some of us, Lord, you're nudging us for around something that we love to do. We, we love this certain sport. We love this certain craft, this certain hobby. Lord, we want to offer these things to you. Not that, that, we, that we get to hold on to them, that we belong to, to get to hold on to them as if we hold on as they're our own. But no, Lord, they belong to you. The things we love, you have shaped us, and we pray that you would bless us to be a blessing. Use us, Lord. Shape us. May our minds be filled with your thoughts. Our hearts be filled with your desires. May we even sing these songs, especially thinking of you, that you pour into us your desires and that we would be faithful to obey. Lord, help us to say yes to you wherever you're calling us to go. It's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.